Come Holy Spirit, set our heart in tune with you so that we would be different people when we leave this place than we were when we arrived. God, open up your, your word to us today to reveal more truths about you and who we are in you. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this community. We thank you for your great love for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Last week, I, uh, I had this thought that I had stood on a roller skating rink the longest I'd ever been on one without falling down, which really was not super record time, maybe like five minutes. So that was, uh, that was pretty good. But it is good to be back with you this week. Uh, man, I, I want to say again just how humbled uh, my family is for you uh, and all the ways that you have loved on us and served us and prayed for us, encouraged us, helped us in so many ways. We are excited to be with you and um, uh, to belong together. We, uh, we look forward to a long time uh, serving alongside of you, uh, loving you, and growing with you. Today, we're continuing in this series, this series on identity, who are you? If you missed last week, then uh, uh, we encourage you to go back. You can actually watch that, that sermon series as, as we kind of started off talking about this uh, idea of who, who are we? Uh, and that's usually one of the questions that we ask when we meet somebody is kind of getting to know them. Who, who are they at their core? And so we started this series kind of looking at this idea of who are you and what is your identity? I want you to think for just a moment about a time that kind of you can remember exactly where you were when that thing happened. Now, for some of you, it was kind of like a large scale. You remember exactly where you were and 9-11 happened. Or you remember exactly where you were when you heard about John F. Kennedy being shot. Or you remember exactly where you were, right, when your children were born. Something along those lines. I remember, I, I, I could sometimes still feel like a, a, the, the certain time of day and temperature and almost cloud setting, a time when uh, I was in my late teens and I was hiking down a mountainside in Tennessee and I was with a group of guys that, that we had all gone and we had done a day hike up this mountain. We stayed in a bear shelter uh, all night long, which really, uh, we needed more of a shelter from the mice because there were hundreds and hundreds of mice that were crawling all over us all night long. But at least the bears didn't eat us, right? <laughs> And then the next day we traveled down, but that night it had rained somewhat. And so all of the rocks were just a little bit slippery and all of them had a little bit of kind of this moss on them. And we were hiking down the mountain at a pretty good rate. Uh, the guy that was kind of leading our pack was, was, he was kind of a spunky little fella. So he was hiking down and the rest of us were kind of lagging behind. We were trying to keep up and we got to a place on the mountainside where it was a sheer uh, just drop off, probably five or six hundred feet, and the path was only about as wide as your foot. 
I'm carrying a backpack. My father is right behind me. I step on a piece of rock that's kind of slippery, slimy, and all of a sudden both feet were up in the air. And I can remember, I mean, it was like slow motion. I can remember thinking, I think this is where my story ends, right? I mean, this is, this is not going to fare well. And all of a sudden, I feel a hand reach out, grab me, and pull me right back on. I mean, I can remember every detail of what was around. You've been there before. You have those experiences. It may not be that one, but you have experience that will take you right back to that time. Today, we're going to talk about a story in which I believe if this person were here today, she would tell you, I had an encounter, I had an interaction, I had this moment where I'm telling you, I could take you right back to that same time, and I could tell you everything about that day, because it was so life changing. If you have your Bible, open it up to the Gospel of John chapter 4, but I'm going to set the stage for you before we dive in. We're going to be reading today about a woman uh, at the well, and this is really a valuable, uh, this is a valuable story for, for us as we look at the identity of us, because Wellhouse, uh, our name, our identity comes from this story that it's a safe, Wellhouse is a safe place for people to come and and have an encounter with Jesus. We're going to read about this story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. But before we get there, I kind of want to set the stage for you just a little bit. In John chapter 3, Jesus has this interaction with a guy named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee at the, at the time. And if you don't know what that means, he just really was a religious leader. He was, he was somebody of prominence. And so he comes to Jesus and he has this interaction with Jesus. And through this dialogue that he has with Nicodemus, Jesus says this verse, John 3, 16. You see it all, uh, all over the place, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Do you realize that that was Jesus's mission? Jesus had a mission that he came to show love and to save. That was his mission. Here's my question for you this morning. Some of you may feel, have you ever woke up and you thought, man, what is my life? I have six kids. I think that all the time. What is my life? Sometimes you, do, you don't picture yourself doing right. I mean, like, I, I would have never thought I'd find a butter knife laying in the you know, bathroom floor. What is my life, right? But that's where we are sometimes. It's just true. <clears throat> have you ever asked yourself, what's my mission? Like, what are you here for? What did God decide for you to do? Sometimes I think we get caught up in the daily, like, all right, I got to go to work. All right, now I got to go home. And now I'm going to fix dinner, whatever. And we forget that you have a mission for your life. And Jesus' mission, he already told Nicodemus, is to love the world and save the world, the whole world. 
And now we get to see in John chapter 4 this mission play out. This is what it says in John chapter 4 verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Why they cared, we don't really know. Although, in fact, Jesus uh, was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. This is interesting text right here. Because Samaria was a region and it actually split off the, the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Israel became divided in, in the kingdoms. And then eventually the northern part, uh, portion of Israel began to uh, adapt to some other cultures. And, and they began to, to kind of uh, shift and change somewhat over time. And so a lot of the southern kingdom looked at them as this, this half-breed that you're really not following the things that God had told them to follow. So they were scorned and they were set apart. And the upper region, the northern part of, of Israel, this Samaritan region, is something that you could avoid, but you'd have to work really hard at it. But interestingly enough, it says that Jesus had to go through there. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Stop right there for a minute. There's a whole lot there to unpack. I almost thought about just stopping the sermon there and unpacking just a few verses. There's, there's a lot. We get to see this, this side of Jesus we don't see a lot. This idea of Jesus being tired. Jesus' interaction with the outcast. Jesus' interaction with those who are the religious elite. But I think one thing is really clear about this section of Scripture is that it is proof that Jesus is on a mission. See, it'd be one thing if he said to Nicodemus, hey, I, I, I've come uh, and, and I want to love the world. God sent me because he loves the world and I have come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And then he looks at Samaria and he says, no, 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 roundabout. I, I want to love the world. I want to love the easy parts of the world. I want to love the parts that make me feel the most comfortable or make me feel the most confident. But Jesus loved and valued Nicodemus the Pharisee as much as he loved and valued the Samaritans. See, Jesus' mission, his mission, pushed him to pursue people and places that methods and preferences would have avoided. Jesus' mission pushed him to pursue people and places that methods and preferences would have avoided. You have some preferences in your life? You got some preferences for people that you enjoy spending time with? 
You have some methods that work for you in your life, some things that just, you just prefer going that way, you prefer doing those things, that's just your method of operation. Jesus chooses the mission over those things, and it pushes him. It pushes him to pursue people and places that otherwise he might have avoided. Jesus isn't done. Here's what happens next. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And, and then the writer here, John, throws in, in case you weren't sure, for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And this is, this is highly, highly unlikely. And on top of that, it's not just a Jew and a Samaritan. It's a man and a woman. And it's not just a man and a woman. It's a rabbi and a lowly woman. We're going to find out later more of this woman's backstory. But there's a whole lot of reasons why these two shouldn't be talking together. Jesus is on a mission. And so he says, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Stop right there for a moment. Set a little bit of background for this woman as we kind of lead up to Jesus talking to her background. What do we know about the situation? She's at the well. We know she's there in the heat of the day at noon. And she's there by herself, and it's just the two of them. Now, this is significant because security reasons, for safety reasons, for, for help reasons, it's nice to go to the well with other people. You don't know what you might encounter. You don't know what kind of needs you might have when you get there or what kind of support you would need. And she's there alone. She needs something And he's offering to her living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Have you ever had this kind of conversation before? You're talking about one thing and Maybe it's your spouse or your children or somebody else who's talking about something completely different and you're not quite on the same page. We get the benefit of the Bible and time and teaching to help us understand that Jesus is talking about something completely different, but this woman is still fixated on this, this thought that he asked her for a drink of water and then he's talking about this living water where she'll never be thirsty again. And she's saying, oh, listen, that sounds wonderful. And there's a part of me that thinks, getting ready to dive just a little bit more into her story, 
that if she never had to come back to that well again, she'd be fine. Because what that well represents for her is shame. What that well represents for her is loneliness. It's isolation. It's another reminder for her that she is an outcast. And so she looks for the easy out. All right, listen, if if you have this eternal water where I'm never going to have to come back to the well again, why don't you give it to me? And I'm never going to be thirsty again, why don't you give it to me? 1994, I was baptized, March 1994. And I was young enough to believe that I thought, man, all right, listen, I'm going to give my life to God and things are going to be really easy. And then I found out it was just kind of starting to get hard. (laughs) Man, I went through struggle after struggle, hardship after hardship, battle after battle, temptation and falling down after temptation and falling down. See, I was hoping for the easy out. But giving my life to Christ was not the easy out. It was eternal life. That's what Jesus was really offering me. And that's what he was offering her that day. She was looking for the easy out. But Jesus points her to eternal life. Verse 16, he says this. Go, call your husband and come back. This is out of the blue. This almost feels like Jesus is trying to pick on something. And I think he is. I have no husband, she replied. You can almost feel her gazing away. You can almost see in her mind, well, this is another relationship I will now lose. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you said is quite true. Have you ever had to have a difficult conversation? One that made you and the person you're with a little bit squeamish. Do you remember what we said about Jesus' mission It was to come, right, that God gave his one and only son because he loved the world and that he was not coming to condemn the world but to save the world. And sometimes that means that you have to have some hard conversations. See, Jesus is willing to enter into the conversation and spend time with somebody whom he had nothing in common with and whose actions and attitudes did not reflect his so that he could change her life. The Samaritan woman had a past that Jesus was willing to look past so that she could have a future. And my question is this. At one point in time, you were the 
Samaritan woman. And maybe you're still there. But my guess is you're probably here today because somebody had a hard conversation with you. Somebody opened up a door. Somebody began to to work and show you who Jesus is and God's mission for your life. And you began to accept that. And now the question is, who's the Samaritan in your life? Whose past are you going to have to look past so that that person can have a future? That's the question. See, that is the mission of Jesus. Listen, I love coming here. This is a a cool place. And I get to see all the work that's put into making this happen. And man, it's it's a lot of work. But it is all for naught if we abandon the mission. It is all for naught. It's just a show. But I believe that God has called us to something bigger and better than that. I believe that he's called you to be on a mission. To pursue people and places that you would probably avoid otherwise. But to look past somebody else's past and maybe even their present so that they can have a future. Somebody did that for you. This story's not done. This is what says, Sir, the woman said, I love this response, I can see that you're a prophet. I mean, he he just lays it out in real quick form. Oh, yeah, I know you don't have a husband. Let me tell you about some things. And then her, her only response is, okay, got me. Okay, I, I can tell you're more than just a normal person. You can see some things uh, in, this, in, in my life that I have not told you. And so she moves on to the spiritual questions. She moves on. All right, she says, listen, if you can tell that, then I, what I really need to know is how to get in a right relationship with God. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we were, uh, must worship is in Jerusalem. What's right? How, how, do I, how do I get a right standing with God? Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seek. God as spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one who am speaking to you, I am he. You have a lot of questions. You have a lot of things going through your mind. But I'm telling you what you're looking for. I'm it. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with this woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Although those were the things that were going on in their mind. And then leaving her water jar, 
the woman went back to the town and said to the people, listen to this. If you have a highlighter, pen, underline this. Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. What did he tell her? And this is her testimony. <laughs> hey, townspeople, people I don't even want to go to the well with, people that I, I need to be isolated from, people who would reject me, who would make me feel shame and scorn. You have to meet this guy. He just told me all the bad things I've ever done in like two sentences. It was awesome. That's her testimony. What's even more amazing? Verse 30. And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Why? Why would she go back to the town and say, hey, listen, I think I found the Messiah because he just told me all my baggage. You know the reason why y'all don't like me? You know the reason why I don't like you? You know the reason why I have to go in the heat of the day to the well by myself? You know that reason? He just told it to me. See, I think the reason why she goes back and says that is because it's, it's this pivotal moment. It's this moment that she'll never forget when she was fully known and fully loved. She was fully known. Jesus knew everything about her. That's why he had to go to Samaria. That's why he had to be at that well. That's why he had to talk to her about this living water. He was on a mission and he knew everything about her. She was fully known and she was fully loved. That might have been the most meaningful conversation that she had had in a really long time. He reveals himself. Listen, you know the one that you've been waiting for? You know the Messiah? It's me. And I, I heard your story. In fact, I knew your story before you told me your story. And I'm still investing in you. See, when you're fully, listen, fully known and fully loved, it'll change your life. I'll never forget the first time my wife told me that she loved me. I had said it before. She did not say it in return. <laughs> Been there before? That's always fun. <clears throat> I had told her that I loved her a few weeks before. She, she was like, thanks. Um, I was like, cool, 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 cool. And uh, where do you transition from that, you know? Our relationship was different from the start. It started like this. I had called her up and I said, listen, I'm not sure I'll ever want to be married again. I've been married before. It ended really badly. I was hurt. I was tired. I didn't think I'd trust again. 
And so I sat on the phone for hours just saying, listen, I'm broken. I'm broken and I'm hurt. I've got scars. And I'm going to tell you all about it. And for her to know the full story and then to say, you're fully known and you're fully loved. I mean, I could tell you right where I was. My question is this. Do you know? Do you know that God fully knows you? The thing that you have never, ever, ever confessed openly to anybody. Ever. He knows and he loves you. Here's my second question. Have you ever told anybody else? See, this place, Well House, is designed to be a place where you can be fully known and fully loved. The Samaritan woman felt known and loved by Jesus enough that her past shame became her testimony. It became the tool by which other people would come to know Christ. That's the crazy thing about being fully known and fully loved is that you don't have to carry around that past stuff anymore. That God now redeems it in a way that only he can. And so no matter what you've done or where you've been, you are fully known and you are fully loved. The rest of the text continues on, has this conversation with, with his disciples who always seem to kind of bumble through. It gives me hope for me in the church, right? Because they're caught up on, did Jesus eat? Had somebody else fed him? Did they fall asleep on the job? And he's like, listen, just, just hold on a second. Meanwhile, the Samaritan woman comes back and says, listen, listen, I think we found the Messiah. He, he just told me about all of my past and he welcomed me. And so they all rush out there and they begin to listen and hear Jesus. And they say, like, this is amazing. I think this is the Messiah. And more, it says, more and more people began to believe. And here's the truth that I have found in my life. There's always going to be something holding you back from your mission in Christ until you are fully known and fully loved. And listen, one of the things that I desire the most for Wellhouse is to be a community of people who will walk beside you in life, who can know you fully, all your dents and scrapes and dings, and love you and encourage you to grow. And I believe that that is the place a lot of people need. It's a life-changing place. Who's the Samaritan person in your life? Jesus on a mission. He had to go through Samaria. He meets this woman. And my question is, who's in your life who would be just easier to avoid? In fact, everybody does. Your preferences and your methods would have you choose to avoid them, but your mission will make you come face to face with. Yes, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. But there's probably somebody that comes to mind. 
when we look at the mission of God, right, to go into all the world, to, to preach the good news, man, it just seems so overwhelming. That's why I love this quote by Andy Stanley. He says this, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so my question is, who's the one person who you know that may really need to feel fully known and fully loved? And listen, the answer may not be farther than you think. For some of you, it's your spouse. For some of you, it's a child. For, for some of you, it's a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. Who's one person? You may not be able to do this for everyone, but you can do it for one. Who's the one person in your life who you know needs to be fully known and fully loved? Praise man, if you come on up. Listen, we are, we're on a mission And the, the choice is yours to participate in it. But I can guarantee you this. That God already knows and he's chosen you. He's chosen you to participate in this with us. So I encourage you, as you have been fully known and fully loved by God, to open that door for other people, that they would know that too. And one of the ways that we know best that God loves us, the Bible says that he laid down his life. In just a moment, there's tables set up in the back that we get to participate in this time called communion. It's remembering how much God loves us, that he was willing to lay down his own life. And so as we get ready for that time, I want you to know and feel that God knew everything you would need. He knew everything you would do. He knew everything you were going to say. And yet, he was still willing to lay down his life for you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father. We are so thankful and grateful for you. That you would know every peace of us our thoughts our motives our deeds you knew what we did last night and earlier in the week and still we get to come to this time it's a reminder that long before we walked this earth and long before we did anything that we ever did that you would love us to the full. And we're reminded that you were nailed to this cross and the whole time your love continued to pour out despite all of our deeds. So God, would you once again, would you do it again for us? Would you rekindle our heart for you, our mission for you, our desire for you that, that just in the same way that somebody else opened the door for us to see you more clearly, that we would open up that door for somebody else. That we remember that we are people who are, we have a mission not to walk aimlessly through this life, but to walk with purpose into people and places 
Maybe we wouldn't feel comfortable otherwise going, but that you've called us to. So, fathers, we gather around these tables. We remember once again that you know us and you love us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Feel free to go to one of the tables. And if you need prayer, there are people around who would love to pray with you.